You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Wednesday, February 1st. I'm Aaron Fulton with Raven News. Alaska's governor says he'll appeal a pending federal court ruling that threatens to shut down the southeast king salmon season. Governor Mike Dunleavy was unequivocal when answering a question from a listener during Alaska Public Media's Talk of Alaska on Tuesday. KCAW's Robert Woolsey reports. The Duval, Washington-based Wild Fish Conservancy filed suit against the National Marine Fisheries Service in U.S. District Court in 2019, arguing that a flaw in the agency's environmental analysis left a small population of endangered killer whales in Puget Sound exposed to further harm due to the interception of their primary food source, king salmon, also known as Chinook. In Barris' terms, the proposed remedy to correct this alleged oversight by nymphs involves shutting down the southeast Alaska salmon troll fishery until the full impact of the Chinook harvest on southern resident killer whales can be assessed. The Alaska Department of Fish and Game intervened in support of the National Marine Fisheries Service. So did the Alaska Trollers Association. It hasn't gone well. Although a federal judge in 2020 declined to impose an injunction against the southeast troll fishery, the latest report and recommendation in the U.S. District Court of Western Washington in December 2022 leaves open the possibility that the Wild Fish Conservancy could prevail. If a judge signs off on the recommendation, trolling for king salmon in southeast might be off-limits for 10 months of the year, making the fishery uneconomic and unviable for many trollers. Although the state joined the lawsuit, it's been relatively quiet about the case. No fighting words, at least in public. That changed on Tuesday morning when Juno Troller and four-decade-plus fisherman Tom Fisher posed the question directly to Governor Dunleavy on Alaska Public Media's Talk of Alaska. My question is, will the state commit all resources necessary to take this court case to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, and if necessary, the Supreme Court. Yes. Thank you. The answer is yes, because this is another example of opportunities being curtailed in Alaska. And again, I think we do uh, fisheries better than the feds did when uh, we were a territory. So the answer to that is yes. We very much appreciate the governor's conviction on pursuing this lawsuit to the end. Amy Daugherty is the director of the Alaska Trollers Association. You know, it's just so frivolous and so harmful to all of Southeast and our way of life here. So it's such good news. Daugherty says her job has changed dramatically since the Wild Fish Conservancy filed suit three years ago. The existential threat to Southeast trolling, which is somewhere between 700 and 800 small businesses across the region, has grown as the suit has progressed. She says the issue has not been overhyped. I think it's extremely valid. It's extremely, extremely um, justified to be very concerned about the current situation. Um, they, uh, Wild Fish Conservancy has a lot more means, certainly, than the Alaska Trollers Association, and um, they seem to be applying it with absolute conviction. Um, so, we are just doing everything we can. We're getting a lot of resolutions. We're getting new money every day, uh, a lot from fishermen, a lot from organizations, processors, stores even. And um, we're just hopeful that there will be some common sense brought forward 
through this process. It's unclear what the immediate impact of a ruling in favor of the Wild Fish Conservancy would have on Southeast trolling, given this newly re-elected governor's interest in fighting the suit to the bitter end. During the same talk of Alaska, Governor Dunleavy didn't just go to bat for trollers. He reaffirmed a commitment to the industry as a whole and to subsistence harvesters on Alaska's interior river systems, whose way of life is threatened by a still unexplained collapse of king salmon and chum runs. I would say that uh, this is priority number one when it comes to resources for this administration for the next four years. And, you know, missing a, a fishing season, uh, two or three fishing seasons, has a detrimental effect, not just, as you said, on food, but also on the fact that it's difficult to pass down the ways of life and the culture if you can't bring the kids out to fish camp. And so we're going to do everything we can to turn this around because Alaska is fisheries. A final decision by the U.S. District Court of Western Washington on the December 13th report and recommendation in the case of the Wild Fish Conservancy versus the National Marine Fisheries Service at all is pending. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey. During Talk of Alaska on Tuesday, Governor Mike Dunleavy also said he's going to pursue legal action against the Environmental Protection Agency's veto of the pebble mine. Dunleavy called the EPA's final determination a political decision. It's on state land. We traded land for this particular um, mineral find. We, um, the whole premise of Alaska as a going concern, as an entity, as a sovereign, is that we were to develop our resources. That's the irony of this whole thing. The EPA has vetoed mining of the pebble deposit in southwest Alaska. It exercised a rarely used power under the Clean Water Act to ban and restrict the discharge of mining materials in waters around the site. It says doing so will help protect the most productive wild salmon ecosystem in the world. Some Bristol Bay tribes started petitioning the EPA to use that veto authority in 2010, and the process has flip-flopped between three presidential administrations. Dunleavy has been one of the most vocal opponents of the EPA's actions at the pebble deposit. Opponents of the mine are celebrating the decision, and Dunleavy said he understands that some don't like the Pebble Project. But um, as governor, my job is to make sure that we uh, take advantage of every opportunity. I believe we have the best environmental standards in the world, and um, I, I uh, I think it's a sad day for Alaska and for the country. The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers denied Pebble a federal permit in 2020, but the company appealed that decision. EPA officials said at a news conference on Monday that this ban is specific to the Pebble Deposit and does not apply to any other projects in the state. But Dunleavy called the EPA's action a dangerous precedent. He also said it was one in a series of projects that could have provided jobs in Alaska but were struck down. The irony of a lot of these uh, projects that are trying to be uh, shut down is that they're located in some of the poorest areas of our state. Now, what's the answer for some of those folks that want to develop their resources whether it's Kakanak, whether it's out of Pedro Bay, Iliamna, what's the uh, what's the alternative for them? Uh, uh, a check from the government? Opponents of the mine say it would threaten the region's ecosystem as well as the Alaska Native cultures that rely on traditional subsistence resources like salmon. Alaska's congressional delegation had mixed responses to the announcement. Senator Dan Sullivan said that while he opposed Pebble, the EPA's actions could set a precedent for development on state lands. Senator Lisa Murkowski reiterated her opposition to the mine, but said she supports mining in the state and that the Biden administration has a responsibility to support other projects. Meanwhile, Representative Mary Peltola supports the EPA's use of its veto authority at the site. There are about a dozen Chilkat weavers in Juneau this week. They're working several hours a day trying to finish up intricate child-sized robes that will be worn by local children while they dance a ceremonial dance. KTOO's Yvonne Crumry reports. 
The weavers are apprentices of local weaver Lily Hope. During the pandemic, she offered classes virtually. If you say chill cat row, we raise your hand. What if, One, two, three, what if you say both? Should we raise our hands? But now they're together in person. The children's robes they're working on are detailed and time-consuming. But it takes two years or more to make an adult-sized one. So the smaller ones are both a practical consideration and also really special. They'll be worn by local children at the end of this workshop. There are about a dozen weavers in the room laughing and joking with each other while their hands are tangled up in yellow, blue, black, and white yarn, the traditional colors of Chilkat weaving. The robes they're working on are at different stages, but most are nearly done. Sakoon Dunedin Jackson is here from Alberta, Canada. She started her robe from home by watching Lily Hope's videos. She spun the yarn and hung it on the loom and began weaving. But on a road trip last summer, she got in an accident, and the blanket, as well as everything in her camper van, burned in the wreck. The only reason I was able to participate at all is because um, it's Jody's daughter. Um, she gifted me her auntie's yarns, who had passed. So it is absolutely a, um, a project of, of love and support of this entire community. She was able to restart the robe and thinks she'll finish in time for the first dance. It's not like joining a crocheting group, right? Yeah. It's, um, it's more, more. There's culture and there's, there's the spiritual aspect of it. I think it makes it, it's what changes it from art to, to a living being. The design for her robe is from Hope's late mother, Clarissa Rizal. It was the last child-sized robe she designed. It doesn't have clan affiliations. She wanted to use a design that was, quote, open source, so that children with any clan affiliation could dance in them. Ganesha Karen Tog started weaving in 1984, but she put it on hold after having five children. The robe she's working on is her first big weaving piece, and she's glad to be in good company for it. You get stuck, like, on a circle. You know, there's so many people to ask. Yeah. Plus, Lily does the videos, but still, it's nice to interact with all the other ladies because you learn little tricks of the trade. Hello, She plans to have her grandson dance in the robe, which shows the face of a fisherman and his two grandchildren in profile turned towards him in the center. Growing the number of Chilkat weavers is important, Hope said in an earlier interview. Over the last 120 years, fewer than a dozen Chilkat blanket makers or robe weavers um, existed at any given point. We are changing that story this week. All these weavers send a message about the status of Chilkat weaving today. My goal really is to let the world know that we're still making Chilkat robes. We're still weaving our history. We're still telling our stories. Yeah, we're still here alive and well. The robes will be on display at the Juno Douglas City Museum until the end of February. In Juno, I'm Yvonne Crumry. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News.